Hello, this is Neil from Grassroots Security, and thanks for listening. I hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. I'm just looking out the window, and it is raining. What do you expect? That's typical Irish winter weather. I know, but I'm looking forward to a non-typical winter weather with the sun shining. You can always dream. One of these days, I will be podcasting from somewhere warm and sunny. Just make sure you bring me. Ha! I will think about it. As usual with the disclaimer, the opinions here are my own, and relying on any information from this podcast is at your own risk. Now on with the show. Carrie, what's the significance of January 28? That you actually fulfilled your promise that you will be consistent in releasing your podcast? Very funny. But no. January 28 is Data Privacy Day. What is Data Privacy Day? Last January 28 was Data Privacy Day. And it was also called Data Protection Day in Europe before. This year marked the 40th anniversary of the Convention 108. Back in January 28, 1981, the Council of Europe set up a convention so that the contracting parties, that is, European states that signed up for it, take the necessary steps in their domestic legislation to apply the principles it laid down to ensure respect in their territory for the fundamental human rights of all individuals on the processing of personal data. The convention, of course, is the precursor to the Data Protection Directive of 1995, where European states then enacted their own implementations with the Data Protection Acts, and then the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, that came into effect in 2018. Were the principles back then the same as it is now? Even back then, they were aware of a number of principles like the fair and lawful collection and automatic processing of data, storage for specified legitimate purposes, and not for use for ends incompatible with these purposes, nor kept for longer than is necessary. There was also this concern on the quality of the data, and they must be adequate, relevant, and not excessive, also known as proportionality. It was also important to make sure that the data is accurate, that the confidentiality of sensitive data is preserved, and that on the information of the data subject, that they have rights to access and rectify. It is amazing that after all these decades, the same principles existed then, still exist now, and are more important, given significant amount of personal data that we have in electronic or digital form. The convention also provided the free flow of personal data between European states who were party to the convention. This free flow may not be obstructed for personal data protection reasons unless parties derogate or basically suppress from the provision which could be done in two cases. One, where protection of personal data in the other party is not equivalent. Or two, where the data are transferred to a third state, which is not party to the Convention 108. So yeah, happy Data Privacy Day. Oh, hell yeah! As if they care what day it is. Why am I not surprised? Anyhow, moving on. If you are a security professional, you would have heard at this stage of the supply chain attack that occurred through the compromise of the SolarWinds Orion platform. Supply chain attacks are not new. The last big one I could remember 
that impacted such a large number of companies or entities was the NotPetya attack back in 2017, where MeDoc, the de facto Ukrainian tax preparation platform if you are doing business in Ukraine, was used to inject malicious software into a number of organizations. This brought down temporarily multiple computer systems from companies like shipping company Maersk, pharmaceutical giant Merck, FedEx's European subsidiary TNT, and food producer Mondelez, to name a few. One of the key differences between NotPetya and the Sunburst attack, which is a codename given to the SolarWinds attack, is that NotPetya is obvious that you are being attacked because of the outcome of the attack and that you got ransomware and your systems were made unavailable. Sunburst, on the other hand, was more covert, just lurking in your environment and either compromising accounts or transferring data from the organization to another location. That is sneaky. Is it easy to identify supply chain attacks? Supply chain attacks are not easy to manage. This is because when you purchase a product or solution, or even use a third-party service, there is that trust element, even if it is covered under a number of contractual obligations or agreements. There is an expectation that those third parties are doing their due diligence to protect their environment, but that's easier said than done especially when you are talking about complex organizations. I'm not making excuses for solar winds, but hindsight is 2020, so we will not go there. But it does show that if you are a software provider, that you should have processes to ensure that the code in the code repository is what you developed, and not injected by another party. Again, easier said than done. If you use third-party libraries or code, you should ensure but you know your whole development ecosystem. That is, what are the different libraries you're using and what checks are you doing on your source code repository? It's similar to protecting data. If you don't know what and where your data is, how can you protect it? So for developers, if you don't know what code libraries you use, how can you protect your product? It's estimated that an average Java development organization relies on software from over 3,500 open-source projects, including 14,000 unique component releases. That is a staggering amount. Wow, that is a lot. Yes, they are open-source, so it means you can review the code. But how many developers do that? Though I don't have factual evidence, I'm guessing not many. I even doubt it's 1% of all developers. Why do you think they use the open source projects? It's to reuse code that's already been developed to make their development more efficient and not reinvent the wheel. Do you really think that they would review the code they got if it works according to their needs? I don't think so. Now, I'm not bashing software developers. Software development is difficult enough, and if you have the time pressure to release products regularly, people may take shortcuts. In the case of the SolarWinds attack, Code analysis would have probably not revealed issues, especially if the threat actor did their due diligence to ensure builds will not fail and that they followed good coding practices and not elicit alerts from the code analysis tools. So now we go to the latest findings from the SolarWinds investigation as of January 11, 2021. One of the analysis was that the Sunburst attack mimicked legitimate network traffic. So if your organization is using some form of network analysis tool, 
it wouldn't have been able to distinguish normal traffic from the attack traffic. Again, it shows the covertness of the attack. Does it make such a tool useless? No, it doesn't. But at the same time, you shouldn't just rely on it. And not all organizations have a network analysis tool either. So, defense in depth is needed. Another statement was that it used a sophisticated way to inject the Sunburst malicious code into the SolarWinds Orion platform without arousing the suspicion of the software development and build teams. This included the replacement of one of the source files to include the backdoor code and placing safeguards to avoid the Orion builds from failing, which would normally alert the developers that something is fishy. CrowdStrike did a malware technical analysis on Sunspot, which is a component of the Sunburst attack. It is a good read for those wanting to check if their processes and controls will detect the method used to inject malicious code into the software repository. I placed the link in the references. I applaud the transparency of organizations who share this type of information as it helps protect multiple organizations. And I know that this wouldn't have been possible if SolarWinds didn't share the code that got impacted to the researchers and security professionals. What else was in the investigation update? In the SolarWinds update, they also provided a preliminary timeline. It seems that the threat actor accessed SolarWinds back in September 2019. I am not sure if it is earlier, as it really depends if they kept information like logs and the like for that long. Typically, organizations would have data retention policies wherein they keep logs and similar information for a year or so, but rarely indefinitely, as there are both technical and legal implications. Within a week of the compromise, they found the source code repository of the Orion platform. And the threat actor started injecting test code. They evolved this until such a time that the malicious code would not cause build issues, and they finished that code testing injection in November 2019. Then in February 20, 2020, an updated version of the malicious code inserted the Sunburst code into the Orion platform. The update was then made available to customers in March 2020. The perpetrators remained undetected and removed the Sunburst code from SolarWinds environment in June 2020. Like any software developer, they would regularly fix vulnerabilities or code issues, but they did mention that until December 2020, they did not identify any vulnerabilities as part of Sunburst. SolarWinds got notified of the Sunburst attack on December 12, 2020, and two days after they filed an 8K and notified shareholders and customers. The next day, on December 15, they released a software fix, and the U.S. Computer Emergency Response Team, or U.S. CERT, released an alert on December 17. The investigation is currently ongoing, but this has rattled the industry, and I hope this will pave the way for better application development. And no, I hope I don't get contacted by a security vendor saying, oh, we have a new way of detecting if your source code was compromised. I'm sure the snake oil products will be coming out of the woodwork. They are probably making those snake oil as we speak. And that's it. I hope this has been useful. I would like to hear from you. So if you have any comments or suggestions, please let me know. Till then, Slangafall. Hasta luego. Take care and keep safe. <laughs>